lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. I want to begin, if you don't mind, uh, giving you a heads up of what's coming up in the overtime today. I know we have a ton of people. Uh, that uh, are involved in uh, the military and are fighting the military uh, jab experimentation, unlawful, uh, illegal, immoral, ungodly mandates, uh, which are really an attempt to purge you uh, from the ranks of the military and get it down to the kinds of people that would be willing to shoot people like me if ordered, right? A lot of you are tuned in right now, are involved in that fight, know somebody who is. In today's overtime, good friend of the show, Jordan Schachtel, is going to join us today. And he put forth a freedom of information action in order to get the Department of Defense to show by what basis are its jab mandates lawful. And their response was basically a troll. I mean, the entire thing's like redacted. There's more to it as well. You definitely want to get today's overtime. How do you get it? This is a great time to become a Blaze TV subscriber. We've made it as absolutely inexpensive as we possibly can. DACE20 is the promo code right now to get 20% off uh, a subscription to Blaze TV. When you go to blazetv.com slash DACE, we will record that with Jordan right after the show today. And then it will be available for you later today at blazetv.com slash dace. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, that's where you can go to watch this. If you would like to become one and take advantage of that special promo code, that's good for only this week with the holiday Labor Day weekend. Uh, blazetv.com slash dace and use the promo code dace20, D-E-A-C-E, dace20, in order to take advantage of that 20% off. All right, elsewhere, coming up on the show today, three non-political questions. Theology Thursday, we'll get back to our ongoing study of my most recent book, Do What You Believe. We'll get into a conversation here at the bottom of the hour. We have been subjected to a mass level of psychosis of fear over these last couple of years. How do we recover from this as a nation? We'll get into that conversation with someone who has a new book out to try and answer just that question here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, no? Maybe a live read right here would be good. Thank you. Oh, we have a little technical issue? Yes. You know what? Aaron needs a built bar. Yes. (laughs) Well, we didn't have any wine on the list today, and there wasn't any whiskey to promote either. Is that a thing? Can we promote that? I'm all in, you know. Of course, that. Yeah, of course you are. I'm I'm begging for a drinking during the show, quite yes, frankly. Yes, you're yes, I know. <laughs> Friggin' Catholics, I know. All right. So uh if you, like Aaron, could use a healthy snack right now, maybe something a little healthier than whiskey, Todd. All right, check out our friends over at Built Bar. I mean, I've lost about thirty pounds this year. There's no way I could have maintained that discipline uh throughout the majority and the long course and slog of this year. Without our friends over at Built Bar, because if you're like me, I have a prodigious sweet tooth. Todd likes to say I've got 
the uh, palate, uh, what is it, of a 12-year-old or a 6th grader or something along those True, lines? True, but nonetheless, I thank God for Built Bar every night because without that, you would be insufferable. I think I, we all I, know that. Yeah, yeah, I would be. And I'd probably also not you know, be 30 pounds lighter uh, on my way to trying to lose 50. So uh, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, only 4 to 5 net carbs. You will not believe how good they are. They are all packed, loaded with flavor. Most of them are 150 calories or less. They rival a lot of the candy bars on the market. So many great flavors. All of them cover in real chocolate packed with protein and right now you can use my last name dace as your promo code to get 15 percent off your order 15 percent off your order with the promo code dace when you go to built.com that's the website for built bar that's built.com 15 percent off with the promo code dace are we ready now dear lord i hope so all right let's find out What happened while we were away brought to you by Donald Trump has endorsed Ohio Governor Mike DeWine in his re-election bid. All right, moving on, just build your own Twitter update. Donald Trump's Truth Social last week was removed from the Google Play Store for what Google called content moderation issues. In completely unrelated news, a 19-year-old Memphis, Tennessee man live-streamed his shooting spree all around the city on Facebook yesterday. The spree killed four random people and injured three others, prompting officials to urge residents to shelter in place for much of the afternoon. The shooter has since been apprehended. The gunman had pled guilty to aggravated assault as an adult after initially being charged with attempted first-degree murder just last year. George Soros-backed Shelby County District Attorney Steve Mulroy was just sworn into office office last week. The White House's monkeypox coordinator is, and I kid you not, a real-life leather daddy. Anyway, here's Dmitry Daskalakis reminding you that the are at the most risk of contracting monkeypox. Signaling to people um, who are in the gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men communities, and also transgender people who have sex with men, that it's really important to have awareness that it's circulating in the community is really a critical part of the messaging, while not generating, um, you know, inordinate concern and really focusing on the infection as linked to an identity. So it's just an infection; it's not linked to an identity. Here's White House Coronavirus Coordinator Ashish Jha. Doctor, when we talk about milestones, here's one: New York is finally ending its mask mandate for mass transit. Do you think New York's making the right call here? Do you wish they were waiting even a little longer? Yeah, so a couple of things I would say. First of all, we are, I believe, entering a new phase of the pandemic. On uh, We know that while masking works, uh, we also know that decisions around mask mandates, do you have them, not, where do you have them, those are decisions best made by local leaders who understand their communities. This rando on MSNBC says we should continue masking indefinitely because... Masking remains an act of solidarity and respect for vulnerable people, that includes people with disabilities, with chronic conditions like asthma, as well as for hard-hit communities like Native and Black communities, especially Hispanic communities that have been hit especially hard by this virus. It's now been revealed that Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, one of the best quarterbacks in college football last year, who made waves a few weeks ago after it was announced he would be sidelined indefinitely with a non-football-related medical condition, Underwent surgery for a condition which causes blood clots. Hartman has fortunately been cleared to return to the field. And now a follow-up on a story that was in yesterday's montage. A Democrat official in Clark County, Nevada, has been arrested on suspicion of the murder of an investigative journalist for the Las Vegas Journal Review. 
Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis was the focus of numerous investigative pieces on misconduct and unethical behavior from the Journal Review in the lead up to his primary defeat in June. Journal Review reporter Jeff German was found stabbed to death outside of his home on Friday morning. Meanwhile, in South Carolina, Democrat Senate nominee Crystal Matthews reveals what she really thinks of white people. My district is heavily Republican and it's heavily white. Wow. I'm not a stranger to white people. I'm from a mostly white town. Yeah. And let me tell you one thing. You gotta know who you're dealing with. Like, yeah. you, you gotta treat them like Aaron's Razor update, it's just demonic, bro. Meet Dr. Sadib Gallagher of Miami, Florida, a woman who mutilates teenagers. Do you hate talking on the phone as much as I do? Well, here at Gallagher Plastic Surgery, you can just text us. You can arrange a whole consult, probably set up most of a surgery without talking to anybody on the phone. We will do a video consult later, but just text us on this number. This human butcher's social media channels are filled with pictures of her patients smiling proudly, shirtless, having their breasts just removed, a process Dr. Gallagher calls yeeting the teats. In Ireland, a teacher was put in jail for returning to the classroom after he was suspended for espousing Christian beliefs in the classroom and not using students' preferred pronouns. Enoch Burke teaches history and German at Wilson's Hospital School in County Westmeath, Ireland. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis clapped back at California Governor Gavin Newsom's continued repeated mindless jabs at him. Yeah, they're so worried about Florida, they can't even keep the power on in California. I mean, are you kidding me? Someone told me that they will be able, once all the people that want to move to Florida move out of there, then maybe they'll have uh, adequate power. But and finally, the hit song of the summer comes to us from the Babylon Bee. Hear the full song and watch the whole video on Babylon B's YouTube channel. And that's what happened while we were away. Or you could just stay and continue to subsidize an absolute shithole of a place that is bound and determined to dig itself so deep into the earth that it literally reaches the gates of hell. I mean, you could just stay there, waste your vote, waste all your productivity, all your prosperity, uh, and the future indoctrination irrevocably of your children. Sounds like a square plan. That's, that's is that that's pretty much Drive the choice. Off. Hard bargain. That's that's pretty much the choice. That's pretty much the choice. But YOLO. Aaron's montage, brought to you by our friends over at Rough Greens. If you're a dog owner, you know that taking care of your pet means more than just giving him food and water. It, I learned an amazing thing last week, by the way. When I take my dog to the vet and get it the proper medication for its stomach virus, it no longer, it goes back to what it did for the last 10 years, which is not treating my home like it's toilet.
speaking of morons. Science! Yes, I, I learned that last week. And to um, to realize the dog doesn't like me being mad at it and would prefer to not treat my home as a toilet so that I'll be nice to it. I learned that last week. So, never, never do, they have a, do they have a rough greens for, for uh, callous, moronic pet owners? They have like a, a sub batch that they give to you. I thought that was the Built Bar commercial from before. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, a lot of the prebiotics, vitamins, minerals, and, and nutrients that your pet needs uh, is probably not, they're probably not in your pet's food, stripped out of there at the factory for all the same reasons they do it with the people food these days. Mass distribution, that's why we're taking so many supplements as well. And now there's one for your pet and you just mix it in and then a lot of that stuff is restored to your pet's diet. But you might be wondering, what if it's not any good? My pet doesn't like it. What if it doesn't work? You should be wondering those things. I mean, hey, we're in the let's go Brandon economy. It's not like extemporaneous spending is just all the rage right now. So how about we give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free to see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less? We'll ask you to put up a few bucks for the shipping, but we'll give you the bag for nothing just to see if it works for you and your pet. And you can take advantage of this deal right now when you go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com or call them at 833-ROUGH-DOG. Aaron, you and I were talking before the program. For those of you that don't know a lot about college football, Sam Hartman's one of the the uh, is one of the biggest stars returning this year in college football uh led uh wake forest to a rare new year's day bowl game uh would they win nine or ten games last year i uh, had through 40 touchdown passes and he was declared out late in camp for uh, they said uh, a non-football related injury but given what's going on right now in his age group, I think we all suspected what was really going on here, right? Yes. And Aaron, you and I discussed before the show, we were shocked. Yeah. Knowing that, knowing full well that Wake Forest University is one of these fake religious schools that is completely given over to the spirit of the age and science, uh, we were stunned that they admitted a couple of days ago that what kept Sam Hartman out was a blood clot. He was on blood thinners. He's now off. It's a tradition unlike any other, folks. I mean, we go through this. I mean, Todd, you know, you and I have been watching college football since before Aaron was alive. Yeah. The long list of players who had to sit out, you know, at the age of 20, 21, 22, and peak prime physical conditioning. The long list of players who had to sit out because of blood clots. I mean, blood clots and ACLs, right, with the exactly. knees. And when you go through and, and you just think of how many great players had to miss time in college football over the years because of blood clots. And then there's that. Well, how about that? Remember that one? Weird. I, I actually can't think of literally anybody. You guys have anybody? This is the first I think I've ever heard of this. Like, ever. Yes. Yeah. What's changed? I mean, just- absolutely nothing. No. It's just a brutal blood clot season out there. It's- Please do mask up. They talk about 100 year floods, 100 year blood clot season. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yes. You're just standing around, you're in prime physical condition, and you're just acquiring blood clots. You're Kirk Herbstreet. 
one of the most high-profile sports media figures on planet Earth. You're just sitting around, and your arteries are completely clear, and then they're telling you you've got blood clots. I mean, Aaron, let he who is not blood clotted spontaneously cast the first stone. Yeah, and I, I just want to re- reset something that I reset last year as well when all of the soccer players were collapsing in Europe, and there were um, at least a handful of like really high-profile really high profile soccer players over there and i just said you know it, it seems like that you know soccer is ubiquitous in europe there's hundreds if not thousands of professionals who play across the the many countries over there and it may seem well four or five go down that that's not a huge deal and and the same thing could be said here well we have one confirmed uh blood clot here of course we had that high schooler who had the six feet of blood clots in his legs but you know that's one out of two of of, of thousands and thousands upon thousands of uh of football players the guys playing for Division One college football at the FBS level are the elite, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Very, very, very high conditioned uh, physical quality. What are the odds that they just randomly have uh, blood clots? That's, the odds are not very good, in case you're wondering. And the same thing can be said here as well. And I think the explanation for why this hasn't happened sooner is just, you know, soccer is a much, much more, as Todd knows, much... Uh, uh, it, it's just a harder sport to play than football where you're taking uh, plays off. But from a cardiovascular still, from perspective, a cardio, uh, yeah. perspective, but that's it's still concerning nonetheless. These guys are also getting monitored year round. Yeah. They're getting the best preventative care you could possibly imagine. I mean, it is not cheap to get an education at a place like Wake Forest. They're subsidizing him. He is he is under 24 hour a day, seven day a week. 365 day a year observation on nutrition, on everything, on everything. So um, these things don't just uh, organically occur in these situations. And the key word, Aaron, that you use there is confirmed. We've had quite a few people miss, miss games, have issues, HIPAA laws. We can't say anything. Right. But you don't see them on crutches or anything. Let's, this has been going on actually for the last couple of seasons. Um, we don't know what those were. This is just one that was confirmed. And frankly, given who the university is, I'm kind of stunned. But now this is getting spoken into the ether. I mean, I've, I've just heard this specifically mentioned and the term blood clot injected into the, the bloodstream just casually of several different college football podcasts I listen to for fun in, spa- in, in the spare time. That's why they don't want to confirm these things. They, they don't want these things just to be casually discussed and to make it think that, that it's that it's first of all, okay to discuss them. You should be, you're supposed to be afraid to, you're supposed to be afraid of the censorship. But but if, if we're going to have high profiles, people start discussing them, then we're going to have all kinds of other people start discussing them as well. And that's when you get into the whole house of cards effect. No, they just can't contain it anymore. Yeah, It's no coincidence. Y- yesterday, uh, that Dr. Aaron, you highlighted, who then deleted his tweet, but he said, yeah, all along, the number of people who have died right. from COVID versus it's all been a scam. Well, that's the same reason why you don't know about many more having blood clot problems. Uh, they have been cr- crunching, uh, fudging the numbers on all fronts this entire time. But sooner or later, the house of cards falls. Speaking of scams. You know, I, I, you want to talk about you should you should stop doing things that make other people uncomfortable, right? And 
In Aaron's montage, you have both the pagan and the demonic. What I'm about to discuss is just paganism. Totems, relics uh, of no power that you worship, um, the things that you bear in order to show that you are part of the communal religion uh, and, you know, uh, socioeconomic, spiritual experience. Um, hiring Leather Daddy to give a, a press conference at the White House is just straight up demonic. I mean, that's just, they just literally raided the temp pool of the mob outside Lot's house and, you know, just put him in front of the White House logo. I mean, that's just straight up satanic, straight up demonic. But the idea that you bear my shibboleth, you bear my mark, uh, you, 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 you bear my crest, my totem in order to show that we belong to the same. She actually lumped you in there, Steve. You're asthmatic, right? Yes, Remember I am all asthmatic. Remember those times you asked us out of respect for you to wear a correct, mask? Correct, correct. Yeah, that was great. Yes. This, push, this is not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. No, it is not. Because it never works the other way. For example... Because you know the the you, if you're one of the uh, if you're one of the Beth Moore fake Christians, nicer than God types, you know reading the exegesis of David French, you guys pull this crap on us all the time, and you're always either just dumb or just flat out liars. Because the the equation never works the other way. For example, if I were to go on national TV and say, your continued use of the useless Chinese face diaper has put me on edge. It's made me extremely uncomfortable. Because it's making me fear existentially that we are no longer capable of being a self-governing people, of not succumbing to autocratic tyranny because there's too many sheeple like you. So I, I, I need you to hide your gullibility for me. It just puts me on edge. It makes me uncomfortable. I need you to hide your gullibility for me and please, to make me comfortable, take it off. Never works both ways. It never does. It never does. See, loving your neighbor as you love yourself is supposed to work both ways. It never works both ways. And when it doesn't work both ways, one of two things is happening. you're still continuing to show Christ-like love and mercy or you're being taken advantage of and you're being prepped and groomed into bearing witness to a different ethic, a different morality, a different religion, paganism. This one's the latter because this does literally no good. They would do more good, frankly, if they asked you to just hold, not breathe. Please don't breathe. Hold your breath, don't breathe, don't speak. That's coming, by the way. That would actually do more good than these useless masks. They're just totems. They're shibboleths of the damned. We are to smash idols, not bow to them. We're here to smash them. That's what we do. We smash their idols. They smash our stained glass windows. Throughout history, idol smashers win. We win. 
throughout history, when they just smash stained glass windows and we don't smash idols, we lose. We lose when we don't smash idols. We're here to smash idols. That's one of the things we're here to do. We're here to smash those idols. That can be done figuratively. It can be done metaphorically. It can be done literally. But that's what we're here to do. Uh, we're here to say, no, no, that's false. We're not doing that. The reason they threatened Paul's life at Ephesus is because he was preaching a new religious system that threatened that community right down to the socioeconomic fabric. One of its largest industries was the worship of Artemis, Diana, at the temple, the relics, the, to the totems, the idols that went along with it. They recognized if everybody follows this Jesus character, we're out of a gig. We're out of money. Our entire way of life is forsaken. Yes. So let me put that in a, in a contemporary context for everybody listening today. You're damned right I'm a threat, Joe. You're damned right I am. I'm here to threaten you. You're damn right I'm a threat to your rainbow jihad, demonic, kill every baby that breathes that we don't want agenda. Debasing currencies, confiscating people's prosperity, productivity, wealth, legacies, time with their loved ones. You're damned right I'm a threat. Put me on all your lists. And I will use every peaceful and lawful, not your laws, not your laws, not your fake ones, the laws of nature and nature's God, I will use them all to the nth to defeat you. You're damn right I'm a threat. I was saved to be a threat. That's why I was saved. I'm here to threaten you. Totally. We're not much of a threat right now. And that's why we're being threatened on every front. All of this ultimately boils down to who has the most conviction in their beliefs? Who does? Every conflict does. Every conflict, every war that's ever been fought, hot, cold, civil, has always come down to who has the most conviction in the rightness of their beliefs. Everyone. And that's how the church survived for 2,000 years without a constitution or a Republican Party or Fox News or conservative media. That's how it survived. Threats that would make Joe Biden look like tiddlywinks. Real stuff. I'm talking Nero lighting Christians on fire to light up his orgies at night. And then when it starts a fire that burns down the city, blames them for it. The dead Christians he lit on fire. Real stuff. Somehow the church survived throughout all of these ages and all of these threats are all burning in hell for all of eternity. How? Conviction. Now such a large cloud of witnesses is now calling us to similar conviction. The answer is no. No, we're, we're, we, won't be, we won't be accommodating your pagan relics. We won't be doing that. Paul, it would, it would, make, us, it would make us comfortable, Paul. 
if you just go ahead and, you know, all these tents that you're building and selling for money, if you would just go ahead and we'll even cut you in on the deal, if you would just put one of these idols to Diana, included with every tent sale from Paul of Tarsus, included with every tent, a free Diana idol, it would just make us comfortable. Polycarp, just make us comfortable, dude. If you would just bow down to Caesar and declare him as Lord, just do it for us one time. But, I mean, it would make us really comfortable. I mean, doesn't your Lord tell you to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Isn't, doesn't he also tell you that everyone's your neighbor? I'm your neighbor, and I need you to do this for me. I need you to, I need you to bow to my God for me, please. I need you to do that. I need you to throw your kid into this fire pit for Malok. I just need you to do that. It would make me comfortable. I'm afraid we won't have good crops this year if we don't. And uh, we will, you know, uh, we'll, we'll make uh, our demon God mad. I need you to go up on the hill and engage in an orgy over there at the Asherah pole just to make sure that my wife gets pregnant next year because we've been trying for a long time and it hasn't happened. And I am reliably informed that you are not taking part in the civic right here the shibboleth here that we all do and i'm pretty confident that means that you're the reason that i can't knock my wife up so i i need you to go ahead and inseminate some of the temple whores up there on the top of the hill for me it would make me comfortable whole conversation changes when you put it in those contexts doesn't it yes it that's does. the same conversation you're being tempted with right now don't go to the school board meeting don't speak out don't go meet with the superintendent don't bring don't speak out it makes them uncomfortable we're here to make this world uncomfortable that's why we are here nothing good has ever been accomplished in this world over any form of evil that did not make someone uncomfortable in the process. Embrace the uncomfortability. Spread it to others. It's getting harder and harder not to have to do business with people that you know hate you and put you in a prison camp if they could, or at least completely silence you from the public square. That's why when such an opportunity presents itself, we should take full advantage of it, especially if we don't have to sacrifice any quality of service at all. Thankfully, one such opportunity exists, and it's with, the, it's with the product we all pretty much have to use these days in modern America. Our mobile phones make the switch like our family did about this time last year. To our friends over at Patriot Mobile, they have the exact same signal strength you get from everybody else because everybody else uses the exact same towers to strengthen and power the signals. So you won't notice, unless you live maybe in some remote areas, uh, you won't notice any difference at all. Our family did not. I know you'll think it's a hassle. We did for a long time too, until we finally bit the bullet, made the switch, and they couldn't have made it more seamless over at Patreon Mobile. They did a fantastic job. They've got specials going all the time, and they've got a unique one. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know. When you go to make the switch, they'll give you even bigger savings as a way of saying thank you for your service. For the rest of us right now, if you use my first name, Steve, as your offer code, you'll get a free activation on your account. A free activation with the promo code Steve when you go to patriotmobile.com Steve. Again, that's patriotmobile.com Steve, or you can call them at 972-PATRIOT. Name of the book, Freedom From Fear. 
a 12-step guide to personal and national recovery. Dr. Mark McDonald is the author. We had him on last year uh, when he tackled a similar topic in a preceding book, and he joins us now on the show as well. Good to see you again, Mark. How are you? Great to see you, Steve. It has been a while. So let, let's let's take it from the top. Your 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 title at least implies, if not explicitly, states that we have undergone some form of a unique global meta campaign of fear here in the West, right? Correct. That's my belief and contention. Give us the signs of that. Besides, you know, all the obvious ones. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Give us like the clinically smart ones, okay? So I'm a child psychiatrist. I work with adults as well as children in my practice. I see tons of people every day. And what I have been seeing recently has been really dismaying, which is not that people were initially scared, upset, Uh, intimidated, perhaps even traumatized by being told they were going to die and they were going to kill everyone if they left their homes. Mm -hmm. It's actually gotten a lot worse in a sense, because I I believe as as a psychiatrist, and I see this as also as a social observer, that the fear has really now become ensconced into what I call a fear addiction, uh, similar to a drug addiction, where people are at baseline highly anxious now, and they use their behavior, which is fear driven, to lower their anxiety. You know, a good example or a comparison would be cigarettes. You know, those who are addicted to cigarettes, they initially took their cigarettes because it helped them to calm down. And then after a certain amount of time, their baseline anxiety level just goes up. And now they're anxious all the time. They wake up in the morning and they're shaking. How do they calm themselves down? They grab their cigarette. And then they go back to the, the average level of anxiety of a normal, healthy person. Same thing with masks, same things with avoiding people in public, Th- same thing with staying home and working through Zoom. People are just simply anxious and scared, and they're making all of their decisions now through that lens. And it's become reflexive, just like an addiction is reflexive. That's why I think it needs to be treated as an addiction, a mass delusionally developed addiction. In religious terms, you're describing pagan idolatry, that, that I, I need this idol I, I need this figment of societal imagination, Pan, Baal, Malok, Chimash, whatever you want to call it. I, I need I need this in order to ad- obtain some level of peace and contentment and or significance in my life. That's that's what you're describing here psychologically, brother. It's like a talisman, yeah. except it's behavioral now. Yeah. That's where we are. People are acting out rituals. Just like someone with OCD, I'm going to tap 16 times and turn in a circle, and then I'm going to feel safe. It's very primitive. It's incredibly tribal, mm-hmm. primitive, undeveloped, and it it constrains you, and it constrains the people you care about from being able to grow and develop and fulfill your potential. Because at baseline, human beings, and I would say Americans in particular, have survived and flourished by taking risks not by worshiping the altar of safety. And we are still doing that, maybe not explicitly, we're not using that word perhaps now, but that's how we're behaving. And we're behaving that way as a society. And it's coming out in a lot of very sick and perverse ways. We're being told now, parents are being told, that if their little boy puts on high-heeled shoes for mommy, that he's a girl, should change his name and have his penis cut off. Mm -hmm. And if the parents go and they say to the doctor, you know, I don't think that's a good idea, guess what they're told? They're told, well, do you want a girl? Or do you want a dead boy? Because he's going to commit suicide. They're scared to death. And this fear is what's keeping people from making 
good, grounded, common sense decisions. It's gotten a lot worse than it was two or three years ago, and I'm very concerned about the future. We played a clip from a, a national news outlet before you came on with a woman saying you should continue to wear your mask because it makes people uh, that are vulnerable uh, comfortable. It, it's funny, though, Mark, this never gets flipped to the other side. For example, no one goes on national television and says, listen, your continued use of that useless Chinese face diaper, it makes me uncomfortable. It puts me on edge. It makes me existentially fear. It rises my anxiety. It makes me existentially fear that uh, we're too gullible as a people to continue to self-govern and we will succumb to some form of historic levels of autocratic authoritarianism. And and I just need you to shield your gullibility from me because it, 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 it ramps up my anxiety and I need you to shield your gullibility from me and take that damn thing off. You ever notice this only goes one, this social compact here only goes one way. You ever notice that? You're completely right. I went to a car wash just last week. I got back from Bosnia after a month where nobody's wearing masks and everybody's laughing at Americans as being a bunch of cowards. And they're right. I walked through. They're right, by they the way. They absolutely are correct. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't even argue with them. I say you're right. I'm ashamed of my country and my people now. I say it without apology. I mean, I apologize for them. And I went through the car wash and this young girl steps out of the kiosk and she's got a mask on her face. And I said, you know, I'm just curious. Why do you have this mask on? You're outdoors. It's it's 102 degrees. You're in the open air. You're not sick. You're not even interacting with people except through a car window. And she looked at me with contempt and anger. And she said, because I can and because it's none of your damn business. And I paused and I thought to myself, you know, I, I'm going to respond the same way that you responded. And I said to her the following. I said, you know, that's an interesting answer. Because when I said that for two years when I walked into a store... I was thrown out. Mm -hmm. Nobody said to me, you know what, you're right. It isn't any of my damn business that you're not wearing a mask. And the fact that I can not wear a mask was never even respected one moment. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to turn around and respect their choice because they can? Hell with that. But Mark, we're all in line down here in the Valley of Ben Hinnom. You can hear the beating drums. We're waiting in line to throw our children into the fire to Malok. And if you sit back there in the back of the line and you're like, I don't know, man, I remember reading in like Deuteronomy, Moses told us to like never do stuff like this. So uh, you guys, you guys do you. I'm not here to judge you. I don't think it's a good idea, but you know, our, our, as a Ferrari, me and my house, we're going to kind of follow the Lord and back out. But you guys, YOLO, we're going to do our own thing. They all turn and look at you and say, Mark, if you back out, you're the reason my wife won't be fertile and get pregnant this year. You're the reason our crops will fail next fall. They don't want to be liberated. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean, Moses? The Lord wants to save us from slavery. Uh, now that you spoke up, I've got to go get the straw and make the, and make the bricks that I have to lay as a slave by hand. We don't want the freedom. We don't. That's why this is the longest sustained experiment in human freedom in 7,000 years of human history. And this country is not even 250 years old. Because as a species, Loki had it right. We were made to be ruled. We want to be. The discovery in the last few years that I've made as a clinician and as, a, as an American, as a citizen, that Americans now today, by and large, for a lot of reasons, prefer to be taken care of mm -hmm. than prefer to be free is one of the most profound disappointments that I've discovered. Not intellectually, I mean viscerally, I've discovered it. I don't know if we can survive as a nation if that is the path that we have chosen. Not, in our, not in our intended form. No, we cannot. In our intended form, we, 
we cannot we don't have the character the wherewithal any other previous generation of america we would have had to convince people to actually take this virus seriously okay we, we any other previous generation that's what we would have had to we would have had to tell them hey you know you, know, you guys are aware this thing exists right this is the first time this is a this is a psychotic and spiritual break this is the first time that we were bound and determined to make a crisis far more serious than it ever had to be and how and how dare you attempt to free me from my fear that's my identity i don't want to be freed from it it's who i am and if you don't affirm it you're a bigot don't you know Identity politics has taken over. You know, two mm -hmm. years ago, I wrote mass. I wrote uh, my first book, which was actually you know, it was written in November. I, gosh, I started writing it two years ago. Um, United States of Fear. You know how the United States has been taken over by mass delusional psychosis, and that became that idea of being scared, being psychotic, became an identity, just like uh, a man and a woman and being gay and being rich and being poor, being black. Uh, it all became one common ruled identity, and it became a, a sign of virtue to express the fear through the mass and the distancing and the closure. And people have maintained that identity now. And as you said, I agree with you. Largely speaking, Americans do not want to be free of fear, the, su the subject and title of my current book, Freedom from Fear. They, they want to maintain this identity because to them it's more comfortable, because it allows them to feel that they're being taken care of, and it allows them to feel that they're in a group, a tribe, just like getting tats now. Everyone has tattoos. Why? Because it gives them a sense of common purpose, meaning, and identity. It's very primitive. It's limiting. It's self-destructive. It, it, it blocks the possibility of sharing common ideas rather than common physical characteristics. It's horrid. It's a regression. But this is what we're living in right now. There's a ton of people listening right now that are like, okay, I have someone in my life I care about who I want to, I want to see if I can break this bondage to fear. So let's go to the other part of the, the subtitle of your book, 12 step guide. Give us a couple of those steps right now. People that are listening, that are like, how do I reach this so-and-so that I love and I care about that just won't let go of this? What do you suggest? The first thing that I suggest is you assess for curiosity. You ask simple questions and see what answers do you get. Meaning is the critical thinking sectors of the brain, are they even open, right? Are they online? Yeah. If they're not online, don't waste your time. Mm -hmm. Think of it like an addiction. Think about your son, your neighbor, your friend, your family member has an addiction to alcohol. And you see the damage, the divorce, the uh, loss of job, the health problems, uh, the ER visits. And you say, you know, this drinking, have you thought about the problems it's creating in your life? And if the answer is are you kidding? I don't have any problems with alcohol. It's my wife that left me because she's a she's a bee. Uh, I went to the hospital because I haven't been eating well. It has nothing to do with the alcohol. If those are the answers you're getting, no curiosity, no critical thinking, and the conversation. But if the answer is, you know what, I, I feel profoundly horrible about what I've done to my life, wrecked my marriage, ruined my health, my relationships, my employment, that's your opportunity to say, well, you know what, maybe you should consider attending a meeting, going to AA. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what this book is. If you ask these questions. How would you feel about staying home and doing Zoom, not being able to go to the grocery store, telling your children to put a mask on when they go play with their friends outside in the park? And the answer is, screw you, we're trying to be safe, end the conversation. Mm -hmm. But if they say, you know what, this is draining for me. I, I, I love the life that I had before, but I just, I just don't feel comfortable going back. That's a sign that there's something amiss, that they have some cognitive dissonance. And those people are able to follow and accept the first step in the program, which is for any addiction, accepting and acknowledging that you have it. 
that you are addicted to fear. That is step one. That is the most important one. And if you can, if you can get to that step, then all the others simply follow naturally because you have the motivation to work them. So that's the most important thing to think about curiosity and acknowledging that there's a problem. Well said. Name of the book, Freedom from Fear, a 12-step guide to personal and national recovery. It's available right now at uh, Amazon.com. Dr. Mark McDonald, and uh, he mentioned the book that uh, he wrote a couple of years ago, United States of Fear, was fantastic. We talked to him about that at the time as well. Good to see you again, Mark. Good luck with this one, and appreciate your work, brother. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Steve. You Good bet. to talk to you again. You bet. Bye-bye. All right, gentlemen, your thoughts on that conversation. Well, We've done such a disservice in so many ways that you've laid out over many, many years, Steve, about what happens when you start reading the Bible like a Hallmark card. And it's it's just supposed to kind of make you feel something, mm-hmm. except when one of the most uh, memorable lines of Scripture of all of Scripture relates to this book. Be not afraid. It is a clinical it's prescription the from the lines. Lord himself. Yeah, there's, it, it, it's literally repeated over 300 yeah. times in the Bible is, is a variation of this yeah. phrase. He's not yeah. doing that for rhetorical flourish. He's telling you, you're, you are created in the Imago Dei. And that means be not afraid. Uh, it, it, link yourself to that and that alone. And so much more of the world makes sense. Because right now, in this day and age... The the the, the 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 social contagion, social media, that level of fear. Am I accepted? Who am I accepted with? While we're ruining our children, poor, rich, whatever. It has to do with this. We're teaching people to never stand on their own two feet, to always, always be at bended knee to some level of idolatrous fear. One of the big things, probably the biggest thing I got wrong in the COVID uh, era immediately is that I thought Americans already in place addiction to titillation. We want to go out and see a ball mm-hmm. game. We want to go out and go to Disney World and Universal. And we want to go out and do this and that. But we just want to be amused. Our addiction to amusement. I thought that was going to be the thing that dug us out of all of this fear. Like, nah, this was fun for a little bit. Let's go back to the ball games now. Let's go back to all of that stuff I just mentioned. And when you you hear Dr. McDonald talk about the addiction to fear, the addiction to fear, it's, I actually got it 180 degrees wrong. It was that in place we all did. addiction. Yeah, we all did. It was that in place addiction to being taken care of, as he also said. That's what actually drug us and drove us further into the mire of fear. It, I, it was 180 degrees opposite. And how do you break that? It's, it's definitely, as you put it, Steve, it's a psychotic spiritual break. The only thing is, is revival. And I love what he said, you know. Ask questions. That's what we've always talked about on this show. Ever since I've listened to it, even before I started working here, how do you reach somebody who is just, you know, hello, anybody home? Ask questions. And if they don't have or can't answer those questions, you know, it's probably just time to kick the dust off your sandals and move on. We all made that mistake. And it is it is much tougher, I think, to bring a culture back from the brink of recklessness than it is from safetyism. Especially from an evangelistic perspective because you're asking people to take on a new identity, a new way of living, a new ethic. And 
I think it's easier to sell that to people who are used to taking risks, who are used to being nonconformists, than it is to people who are comforted by their own conformity and safetyism. Mm -hmm. We'll come back. Theology Thursday is next. All right, back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And all of you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. I need to warn you because this is starting to happen again. Man, if you're going to write me a book, you got to remember, folks, we're getting like hundreds of emails a day, literally. So if you are going to write me a book, it's got to get my attention right away. Otherwise, I just, I have to move on. I mean, I don't get paid extra for reading, you know, Levitic, Levitical emails, <laughs> okay? So, pithier is better. It can be long if it's like gets my attention right away, but oh, I'm going to tell you, if I open your email up and it's like more than three, what's going to happen now is y'all are going to just send me single paragraph emails <laughs> that are going to go down an entire column width of a length of a page. If I open your email up though and it's got like more than three paragraphs, you're hanging by a very slim thread, and I dig that about you. You just need to know, all right? Your your margin for error of getting on the air greatly reduces, but you can give it a shot. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. Look for Steve Dace there. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Getter and on Twitter. Find me on Trump's Truth Social at Real Steve Dace, at Real Steve Dace there. And then you can find real clips of the show that are really inexpensive, like free, and minus any censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Again, that's rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Those of you that are podcast listeners, thank you very much for being one of those. You're a big part of why I'm probably going to get my contract renewed here at the end of the year. So thank you for that. Uh, please, if you've yet to do that, leave us a five-star review and uh, hit the subscribe or follow button. Uh, our CEO here, Tyler, yesterday sent, a, sent us a bunch of the most recent reviews we have gotten for the show. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go soft, but I'd be lying if I'd said I wasn't touched at least a little bit. They were very, very kind. Yeah, absolutely. And they were very encouraging. So thank you very much. Uh, if you have a question that you'd like to have uh, submitted for the next Ask Me Anything, which is coming up on Monday show. Uh, you can The best way to get it looked at is to embed it into your five-star review. It'll go to the front of the line for consideration by Todd. Thanks to all of you that have done that for us already, the thousands of five-star reviews and all the kind words. We greatly appreciate those. We also appreciate our friends over at Masterworks, the Inflation Reduction Act. <clears throat> yeah, what a joke that is. If inflation is transitive, like Biden said, then what's all the fuss? It turns out Inflation goes viral, as we have learned this year. And that's why you want to talk about investing in contemporary art with our friends over at Masterworks. I'm not talking about Hunter Biden finger paintings here. I'm talking about things that are as legendary as those are, by the way. Okay. I'm talking about Picasso level stuff, stuff that is very valuable on global markets, which is one of the reasons that uh, fine art. High-end art has outpaced the S&P 500 by more than double in the last 25 years. More and more people with money are putting their money into high-end art. 
And now you can do the same. That's why they have over 500,000 members with over $500 million invested at Masterworks. Because to date, Masterworks has sold six paintings for an average net return of a 29% ROI. Inflation be damned. That's pretty good. Here's the best part. Uh, you guys get an exclusive offer. Only for our Steve Day Show audience when you sign up at masterworks.io slash Steve. Masterworks.io slash Steve. Skip the wait list. Start investing immediately. That's masterworks.io slash Steve. Again, masterworks.io slash Steve. Find out how Nancy Pelosi makes all her money other than insider trading. And with that, let us get to Theology Thursday. We continue our study of my most recent work, Do What You Believe, or you won't be free to believe it much longer. You can still get a copy at Amazon if you would like. Todd, the chapter we are doing this week is... Chapter 10, Rules for Defiance. And it's pretty fitting that we're talking about this uh, concerning the content we had uh, discussed on the Glenn Beck Show uh, earlier this week. I'm going to read those rules to you. There's 11 of them uh, without going into in depth. I just I think it, for Steve to answer the questions, we need to know what the, know what the rules are. Rule number one, assume you are being lied to. Rule number two, take being informed more seriously than ever before because it's harder than ever before. Rule three, maintain meekness or power under control. Rule four, never abandon your motivations. Rule five, know thy enemy and hint it's probably not your neighbor, even that really annoying one. Rule six, feed the sheep and confront the wolves. Rule seven, civil disobedience is required by us now to hopefully avoid civil war for our children later. Rule eight, we need to come together. Rule nine, shame the shamers. Rule 10, make red states and communities red again. Rule 11, take yes for an answer. A lot of those shouldn't come as any surprise We've to discussed a lot of those yes. names prevalently on the show in the last year plus. Yeah. So question number one, how could the church, and again, in all caps, you know how important that is by now, how could the church be doing more to correct <laughs> the problem of disinformation and propaganda in our media culture? There, there's two things we are missing in our culture more than anything that are more in dire need than anything else. One of them I just spoke about last hour, that's empathy. And I know it may not have sounded nice, may not have sounded soft, but empathy is that I understand the other side's viewpoint. Even if I don't agree with it, I I, I will listen. Um, your viewpoint, your life experiences, you're made in the image of God. I'll value that. God saw fit to make you, to put you on this earth, to give you talents, skills, abilities, a purpose. And I will honor his decision to do that as you will honor his decision to do it where I am concerned. And part of that honoring is to listen to one another. But it only goes one way. Hey, you keep wearing the useless Chinese face diaper because it makes me comfortable. Empathy says it has to go the other way. But by the way, that's what loving your neighbor is. You love yourself. That's what that is. Putting myself in my neighbor's place. Moving my emphasis off myself. So empathy works both ways. Take your mask off. It's making me uncomfortable. I'm, you're, you're sending a signal to our would-be oppressors that we're gullible enough to be, to be ruled. We need to stop doing that. Stop it. But the empathy only works one way. That's how you know it's not empathy. 
Here's the other thing. Truth. We don't need good for all right now. The culture's got plenty of that. We don't need compassion for all. Tolerance for all. Culture's got plenty of those things. And as it's got so many of those things, it's completely bastardizing the definitions of them now. And that's why the number one thing we need is truth for all. We need truth for all. We live in a truthless society today. In order for truth to be reinstituted into its, its, prime, its, its prime positioning in our culture, we need an, it needs to begin with an institution that plays essentially the role of a referee, of an official. And yeah, of course, there are going to be elements of this society they're going to say, well, that's not my viewpoint, so therefore it's not true. So what? That's always existed. Name the period of time in the history of the church. In fact, let's go back, let's, let's go pre-church, like worshiping Jehovah in tabernacles in the desert kind of stuff. Okay, name me a period of time since God spoke to Moses, since God called Abraham out of Haran, out of Ur of the Chaldees. Okay, name a time ever since Genesis 3 that there have not been people on Moses build a boat and everybody, all of his neighbors looked at the boat and said, hey, that's a great idea. What are you building it for? We're curious. Is that what they did? No, no they drowned. Okay, so since Genesis 3, name me a time that there were not people who said, that's just the answer that I don't have to believe it. Name me a time. Has such a time ever existed? No. Not since Genesis 3, there has not been. And until the Lord returns, such a time will never exist again. And God said, because of that, because there will not be uniform, complete acknowledgement of your position as my covenant representatives on this forsaken, fallen creation. You're under no obligation to take any difficult stands and call balls and strikes. Is that what God said? No. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Now that we have fallen, when in Rome, do as the Romans. That, that, no, that didn't happen. No. No. So we weren't freed of our obligation as his covenant representatives on planet earth to proclaim his truth, regardless of who will listen and who will like it. That's that obligation's never been divorced from us. Nor will it ever be. Nor will it ever be. Cause that's your job. We need churches who call balls and strikes. We need churches who say that's wrong. That's right. That's right. That's wrong. I don't care how you voted. I don't care who your pet candidate is. I don't care. There is, there is, there is, I'm not here to satisfy you. Instead, we have too many churches who take that love your neighbor as you love yourself, but they do it at the expense of the love, the, love the Lord your God while of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is not granted his preeminent place. Your neighbor is. And so truth is presented in a way that brings comfort to your neighbor, often as they're dying in their sins. God's place must be exalted first. Exalt God first. That cannot be done without truth. In the beginning was the word truth. The word was God. 
The truth is the word here. What is true? The church, regardless of blowback or accommodation, needs to step in, put back, put the striped shirts back on and say, hey, that library down the street, that's uh, teabagging your kids, that's wicked, demonic, and evil. Don't take part in that. Hey, Joe Biden, you hired a Satanist to yes. run your monkeypox yeah, yes, division. Yeah, yeah, don't take part in that. And if you do, you should consider whether or not your eternal soul is really um, in good standing with your creator or not. Hey, the White House just got a leather daddy and put him in front of the White House uh, logo. That's demonic. So, frankly, instead of flying your flags, maybe you should lower them to half mass right now and be in mourning for your country. That's what I'm talking about. The church steps into the void and plays its part. Without that, I don't know of another way for objective truth to be reintroduced. Because here's the thing. Even if it's only people who believe in that truth that will honor and abide by it, okay. How's that worked out so far for the last 2,000 years? Record on that's pretty good, right? We're still kicking. Yeah, I mean, so far the record of Oh, okay. Well, so maybe only the people that will believe in it will actually live by it and acknowledge it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that those people started, began, founded, were inspired by, we still have remnants of them millennia, centuries or longer later, mm -hmm. even in our own modern walks, right? We don't have a lot, though, of remnants and relics of those who opposed them and thought they were idiots, though. We don't have a lot of those, do we? No. No. No, they're in the ground or down below, even if we just had the people who believe in those truths encouraged and inspired to act and to live by them, to act on and live by them again, I'll take that over any political party. I'll take that over all the political parties that have ever existed because that's been the most undeniable force for good in the history of humanity. The church must put the striped shirt back on, stop swallowing the whistle, start throwing flags and calling fouls. Why does civil disobedience seem to be viewed as a mortal sin for many Christians, particularly since we begin teaching school children about Martin Luther King Jr. in kindergarten? Go there. I know. If that's what you need to hear, go there. <laughs> Say it again so I have time to contemplate how I want to go there or not. Why does civil disobedience seem to be viewed as a mortal sin for many Christians, particularly since we begin teaching school children about Martin Luther King Jr. in kindergarten? You know what? It's. I'll just say it because I've said it a million times because we are comfortable because we want the world's approval. We want the system's approval. We don't want to, we don't want to risk a job. We don't want to risk a relationship. We don't, we don't really want to risk anything. Then how Christian are we? And if I, I tend to agree with that. I, 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 I wonder how it is possible to live a riskless Christianity. 
I, I, I'm not sure how it's possible to live a comfortable Christianity, like immune from temptation, immune from attack, immune from any level of shunning or persecution. I, I'm, I'm not sure how you do that. I mean, the Lord said if they do this to a green tree, meaning himself, what are they going to do to you? I, I don't know how to do that. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't sit here and, and you know, say who is and who isn't a believer. But if you're not, if it's not costing you anything, if you're not risking anything, at the very least, can we say, you're missing out on one of the greatest joys. Yeah, I said it, joys of being a believer. Watching God use you to impact other people in powerful ways. It says about the disciples, and in this case, they're specifically talking about, about I think it's Peter and John, I think is who they're talking about, when they first start going to the temple post-Pentecost to declare Jesus as Messiah. And the Sanhedrin comes to them, has them, has them arrested by the temple guard and has them flogged and beaten. And it says in Acts shortly thereafter, when they return back uh, to um uh, to the to the rest of, of of their fellow believers, they 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 found it all joy to suffer for the name. They were honored. They were honored to be so over the target that the system had no alternative but to beat them for it. They told them, "Don't ever come back here. Don't ever preach about this Yeshua Carpenter Messiah ever again." So, because they didn't want to get um, flagged by the Facebook algorithm. Uh, because they, you know, um, they didn't want to get their Twitter account suspended. They already had two strikes on YouTube and couldn't afford a third. They said, you know what, you guys are right. And we'll just keep this Yeshua thing to ourselves. How about we talk about what we have in common? No. The next morning, when the elders of the Sanhedrin awoke again, to surveil what was going on within the temple, Peter and John were already there. Already there. Boldly in the open, preaching about Messiah again. That's some kumodi, how you like me now kind of stuff. My daughter, my oldest daughter, sent me a text earlier of a t-shirt. Because here's what this is, here's what will happen. If we're not willing to risk anything and it is happening, here's a t-shirt. She sent me, why be racist, sexist, homophobic, or transphobic when you could just be quiet. That's the t-shirt. I have a t-shirt for you. Why be a demonic Marxist communist God hater when you could just be quiet. The enemy's not afraid. And so therefore, neither are his followers. Not afraid at all. They're not uncomfortable at all. They have more conviction than we have. I mean, I hate to keep harping on this. But it, it, I, I saw a funny skit at church several years ago about the difference between men and women, but and I think it applies, one of them anyway, outside of the obvious ones, and I think it applies to this conversation. 
And it's a husband is sitting down with his wife after work. And she just wants to be heard. Okay. And talk about her day and the difficulties. And he, of course, wants to fix everything, right? She's got a giant pus oozing mole on her forehead while she talks. And, and she expects him to just sit there and listen and not address the giant pus oozing mole on her forehead. And of course, he's biting his knuckles, looking around. He, this is killing him because he wants to fix it. He wants to get to the solution and do something about it, right? But she just wants to be heard and listened to with this giant pus oozing mole on her head. We're, we're not, we're not like tempted to confront the giant pus oozing mole on their forehead at all. Instead, we're like, yeah, we'll just sit here and listen to you. Ooze is like now going down their cheek. It's getting into the corners of their mouth, like just disgusting level of leather daddy kind of stuff. Well, you know, just, that's just, anyway, tell me about how your coffee break went. They've got a puss oozing mole on their face and the puss is going in. The infection is seeping into their mouth. Well, you know, not that much. You feel terrible. You see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. You know, someone is going to be made uncomfortable here. And I can promise you the one who is willing to make the other the least uncomfortable is going to win. Have you ever had any personal success growing closer to or changing the viewpoint of someone you previously thought was impossible to make any kind of connection with? I've actually had that happen several times. And a lot of times people, in fact, I, I think people would tell you I was somebody that they would have thought. I mean, I can't even imagine what some of the people that I went to high school with and stuff. If they have a clue what I'm doing now are like, what the? <laughs> I mean, would have no clue. I mean, my, my, my wife and I met in a proto version of Tinder and a hookup AOL dial-up chat room. It was literally just supposed to be a lust and smut-filled weekend. My wife this weekend is at the Association of American Christian, Christian Counselors Conference. I'm making references on broadcast um, radio and television to Asherah Poles and the Valley of Ben Hinnon. I didn't even know what these things were when I met my wife. I mean, I'm, I am an example of this. We've talked before about one of our favorite co-theologians, Augustine. He belonged to a literal sex cult. I think his mother's name, Monica, correct? Mm -hmm. Prayed for him for yes. many years. I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite Christian thinkers, of, of modern times is Josh McDowell, total atheist, grew up in a home with an abusive, drunk dad. I think a lot of times those of us who come from the edge, so we've, we've, we've either gone over it or we've taken a long, hard look at thinking about going over it, are much more willing to be rightly energized and radicalized by our faith and belief system because we've come to that edge. If I may, I think this has a lot to do with rule 11. Take yes for an answer because that's might be one of the more cryptic ones when I read it to people, but 
that's where you lay out you know you, if in this time mm-hmm. of covid look at the alex berenson for example pick anybody you want to we're going to start having some strange bedfellows. They're not going to agree with us on a lot of things. Might even have contempt for us on some things. On yes. some things. I think that's when you get into the meat of this, this is where you're going with this. I mean, I, I've I've seen so many clips of Russell Brand in the last couple there of years. There you go. That, Another. That sound like our show, albeit with a better looking movie star and a really cool English accent. Okay? I mean, and, and this goes back to the conversation we had uh, last hour with Mark McDonald. Those are people that... They haven't gotten to the final step of this evolution process yet, but the critical thinking light was still on. Yeah, and they 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 smelled the BS as it when it was put on the grill, okay, and called an impossible burger. They they reckon that's that's complete and total cockamamie garbage. And I think at this, I mean at this point, I would rather share a foxhole with Russell Brand than the vast majority of American Christian ministers. I don't know how else to put it. I take my chances with Russell Brand. What, 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 what's more likely that I can that God could use me to get Russell Brand, who's on maybe step four or five right now, to get to ten or eleven, or can maybe get a lot of America's comfort-driven, sweater-vested, pleated, khaki-wearing, skinny jean-owning pastors to get even to step two? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I mean, ten years ago. Joe Rogan or David French go versus now. I mean, this David French was a frequent guest on this program. Yes. This is this is the point that we're talking yes. about here. And if you want something optimistic, and and, and I don't want to you know go over my skis here because this is way beyond my jurisdiction. But if you're looking for any signs of optimism when we talk about revival or bust kind of stuff, if you're wondering, could we? Are we seeing anything? How would we know? I kind of wonder, this is just me spitballing, I'm no Augustine, but I do wonder when I permit myself any form of optimism, the fact that truth is beginning to come from some of the least likely places. Could those be, you know, seeds of revival? One of the things that was said against Messiah when he came to earth was nothing good comes from Nazareth. We would know. We're the we're the elders of Israel. We would know. We are the we are the learned. We would know. So, I mean, I'm a kid born to a 15 year old mom. About the only person more stunned at the man I eventually have become and the things I now believe than me is my mom. I mean, we talk about this all the time. We literally grew up together. There's no natural explanation for why I am who I am and do the things that I do. There's no natural explanation for them. There isn't one. So therefore, if there is no natural explanation, that only leaves what kind of explanation? Supernatural. A supernatural one. Yeah. What's the natural explanation for the guy that was, um, you know, uh, palling around with Sarah Silverman and doing abortion humor, who's now like literally just crushing shibboleths on his podcast every day like Russell Brand is. What is. What's the natural explanation for that? I don't have one. There isn't one. That answer your question? It does. It is more... Is it more difficult for you to give mercy to sheep or to give no quarter to wolves? 
is allowing one to grow out of proportion with the other a form of personal idolatry? Yes. I mean, for me, it's obvious. It's much easier for me to give no quarter to wolves than mercy to sheep. You know, I, I didn't, a lot of people struggle with the idea that, that God punishes sin. They struggle with God's holiness and righteousness, and that is, holds them back from conversion. That was never an issue for me. In fact, I'm rooting for it. I'm like rooting for a little wrath of God. I was rooting for it as an unbeliever. Let's, let's see some pain out here. What I struggled with because of the way I was raised was the idea of an altruistic father, a God who does the right thing because it's just right, because that's inherent in his character. I, I struggle with that. Mercy is much more of a challenge for me than, than, than boldness and confrontation. For a lot of you who grew up in good homes, that's probably not the case. You know, I made my, I did my best with my children for them to grow up in a better home than I was raised in. But I also was concerned that that might make them softer. And so I wanted to contrive ways to still put them on edge, to challenge them so that they would not assume that the world is just like the sanctuary of the home that they grew up in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, you see, at least with the first one to leave the nest with our oldest now, you can see that, you know, um, she's not a shrinking violet, but, um, that's the hard part for me. The mercy part is much harder for me. That's why, you know, when our church does community outreach reach things, if, if I can fit it into my schedule, I intentionally will try to do it and take part in it to remind myself that my faith is not just a systematic theology. It's not just a creed. It's not just a series of, 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 of philosophical statements. That's the idolatry that I am tempted to fall into. And, and so I have to be aware of that. Too many of us, though, are much more into the other idolatry that it never confronts, that it never draws lines. And that's where we're out of balance in the era that we live in today. Good stuff. We'll come back. Maybe we'll make it a little lighter. I don't know what Aaron has up his sleeves. We've got three non-political questions next. One of the key ways that you can get around big tech censorship is with our partners. Oh, pardon me. Our partners over at ExpressVPN. When you use ExpressVPN on your computer or phone, it helps to protect your privacy. It hides your IP address from third parties, makes your activity more difficult for companies to trace and then sell your data to advertisers. What's more, it encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. ExpressVPN so popular, it's won so many awards. One of the reasons why, it's so simple to set up. It's literally one, two clicks, mask, Mac, mask, max. I've got masks and eradicating them on the brain. All right. It's one to two clicks, max, and you can set it up on all your devices as well. Um, I've got it here on my phone, for example, and on my laptop too. If you want to stop allowing big tech to revoke your rights to free speech, um, why not revoke their right to your data instead? Secure your internet with, v with a VPN that you can trust for online protection. Visit ExpressVPN, V as in victory, expressvpn.com slash Steve. That's expressvpn.com slash Steve. And you'll get three extra months free when you sign up for a year at my exclusive link here at expressvpn.com dot com slash steve so you get 15 months for the price of 12 expressvpn.com slash steve time now for three non-political questions 
We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yeah, we need a little break from the demise and fall. Three hopefully decent, because that's the, that's the standard that I put on myself. Three hopefully, hopefully okay. That's hopefully we, okay. We aim high. We aim high. Yes. Yes. Uh, expectations, set them low, and you'll never be dis- uh, disappointed. Uh, question number one. What is your favorite non-football fall tradition? You know what it is. You won't let me forget. No. Pumpkin spice, all the things. I this litter. I walked in. I needed to go get a cup of coffee or something. And and Steve had already said he had this like little baggie. It was like almost a drug bag. Um, <laughs> it was my it version is, of a dime bag. It is a truck bag. <laughs> yeah. He walked in. You guys know what this is. Something like that. Yeah. Apparently, what do they have now, Steve? Pumpkin Oreos, yep. pumpkin spice Oreos. And I specifically waited to try them, so I would I would try them within Todd's presence. Yeah, I walked in after getting a cup of coffee, and Steve is just standing right in front of where Todd is, eating one of those. I'm gonna I'm gonna convert Todd to the to all things pumpkin spice. I I think Knowles is a big pumpkin spice guy. I knew I yeah. thought he was really smart. I told you guys before, I think Michael Knowles is really smart. And that's further confirmation. He's a big pumpkin spice too, pumpkin spice guy too. Someone sent me pumpkin spice. Oh, what was it? I'm going to post a picture of this maybe on Twitter. Pumpkin spice Alfredo sauce. I'm so in on that. Are you kidding me? Do you know, can you imagine how good that probably is? See, it's like with God doesn't create anything evil. It's just. There's all the things he creates are bent and twisted out of shape. This is just uh, too much. Way too much. But other than football, my favorite fall tradition is the pumpkin spice. I love pumpkin spice. So this is how we're going to play? Yep. Soccer. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just let it the record show. I came up with a great American commercially created tradition <laughs> Todd rolled out with the leisure arm of the one world government so Aaron you break the tie <laughs> both y'all both y'all man he's an exorcism here I think in the studio uh, for, for me I, I do certain I do certain fun things for football Saturdays as far as cooking goes a couple weeks ago for week zero it was Little Smokies, of which I ate way, way too many. So they weren't so little anymore. They weren't so little. They pile up on you. I weren't so little anymore, and I was, I've already, you know, uh, we'll we'll put that there. But um, I I think my favorite thing, though, but my absolutely favorite thing to do, and I only do this during the falls, I don't even do this January or February, is chili. It's chili season. Chili, uh, S-Z-N, chili season. Um, I stay up until about 11 o'clock at night before I actually start making the chili on a Friday night. So that way, wake up 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and the house is just filled with the smell of nice, spicy chili. It's not done yet. Still has to, still has to be on low in the slow cooker for 
a few hours, but it's usually ready by around 11 or 12 o'clock. So you can just, I mean, you just you have at that thing all the rest of the day watching football. So that's, right. uh, that's my favorite. All right. Question two brought to you by, I know this is always one of your favorite topics for us to discuss here on the show, Todd, my underwear. The only underwear I own and purchase anymore after they let me try Tommy John underwear for free. I loved it so much. I've gone back to the well many times. It's very important for me to understand, make you understand. I didn't just keep wearing the same pair. I own many, many pairs. All right. Uh, And it's fantastic underwear. It's why they don't have just fans, but fanatics with Tommy John. They've sold over 17 million pairs of underwear, over 17 million pairs pairs uh they've got the best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee they've got stuff for the ladies as well so if you want to try these you i promise if you try them you won't go back to anything else that's how good this underwear is 20 percent off your first order store-wide right now when you go to tommyjohn.com slash steve that's tommyjohn.com slash steve and get 20 percent off your first order when you do aaron uh next up what is one ending to a movie or a book or even a TV show, I guess, if you want to go there, that legitimately shook you because you did just didn't see it coming? Like, you really did not see this coming. That I didn't see coming at all. And you thought it was a good twist, and I th- not, not a contrived one. Thought it was a good twist and not a contrived one. I mean... It- I can go first if you need yeah, some time. Yeah, I need some time to think about that. I think, I don't, this seems lazy, but I think, I mean, there's a couple of, a couple of M. Night Shyamalan movies. I think Split was probably a better twist than The Village, now that I've seen The Village a few times. I the end of the Split, first, where you find out it's a sequel to the, um, mm-hmm. what is that, the, uh, uh, the Unbreakable, Unbreakable yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. So, uh, that that's one that really was like, Good Lord, what are we, what my entire, you know, reality is being questioned right now. But I think, again, it's lazy because this is what he's known for. But I'd say those two from M. Night Shyamalan, those are, those are pretty, uh, at least the first time you watch them, you're like legitimately surprised. I'll let you go next. Because I don't have one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't. uh, This is not, this is tough. This is really tough. I can't remember the last time I was... Je- I mean, I don't remember the last time I had any kind of feeling like I did at uh, The Sixth Sense. I mean, that was masterful. What about, was masterful. Um, what about the uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, with Han Solo? Getting killed. Oh, I hated it. Okay. It was... It, so it doesn't have to be good? Uh, that you I thought mean, was good. Yeah, see, and and Harrison Ford was begging to be killed off originally in the original series, so it's not surprised that he was killed. Just the way that they did it, and just just about did everything regarding a lot of the main characters was dreadful. So I can't put that there. All right, I've got mine. Okay. Okay. The Mist. There have not been a lot of great uh, Stephen King film adaptations, and the ones that have been great are really great. But a lot of them have just been disappointments. <clears throat> the Mist is maybe the most underrated one of them all. So the, the Mist is a setup. There's this mist, like a fog, that permeates this town. And there's, there's a giant flesh-eating monster in the, midst, in the mist, okay? And this group of people, <clears throat> pardon me, they get, they get trapped inside this grocery store in this town. 
And it becomes an entire, you know, ethical question. Who survives? How do they survive? It's very fascinating. At the end, when they think that there is no hope for victory, they view it as noble to go ahead and all of them take their own lives. They've lost total connection to the outside world. They think this monster's taken over the planet. There's no hope. So they think rather than being digested and enveloped by this monster, it's just best to take their own lives. So the lead character... Um, decides that he'll bear the brunt of the of the of the carnage and perform the deed himself so he takes so shoots everybody at their request so they don't get eaten by this monster and at the end he's out of bullets for himself and you think you think that's the brutal twist ending in and of itself until the military actually shows up and ended up pushing the monster back and defeating it. And then you realize that they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do any of that at all. I got, I got my nine. You gave it to me by the myth. Talking about the myth. This is so lost. Oh yeah. Who saw church coming? Yeah. Who saw heaven? I mean, and that's why it turns out they were actually in. So in the first season, people guessed correctly that they were in purgatory the 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 director the writers of lost who are either heavily catholic influenced or catholic themselves were adamant it's not purgatory it's not purgatory it's not purgatory then you find out that basically the island it was purgatory pretty much all along yeah but yeah. still the fact that they were like forced to draw that out over what six seasons yes. and were still able to do so cohesively somewhat correct, correct. is actually but, more impressive. I, I think it's the greatest television show yeah. of all time but still, did those last couple episodes, even even that being said, you know, you 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 some secular gloss on it. Mm-hmm. They end up in church. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I was blown, which is why people hate it and didn't like it to this day because that that can't be. I need something better than the actual truth. Before we get to Aaron's final question, homeowners beware, you could already be the victim of home title theft and not even have a clue some cyber thief may have already forged his name onto the title to your home, which is the only thing you own that really proves you own the home is that title. That's why you want to go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Simply enter your address for free. No obligation, and you'll get a free no obligation home title scan when you do. That's normally $100 value. They will give it to you today for free when you go to HomeTitleLock.com. And use the code RADIO. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Use the code RADIO. Make sure your home's title is in the free and clear, has not been tampered with. Get a free, no obligation, home title scan for 100 bucks off. Five-finger discount. All 100 bucks off. Can't beat it. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com and use the code RADIO. Question number five. This is maybe a question I'll repeat maybe once a month during the college football season. Your top four observations from... Week one. Um, Georgia should be number one. I mean, if they're going to be that devastatingly effective and you're the defending national champions, then you should be rated number one until someone defeats you. Like the great prophet Rick Flair once said, to be the man, you got to beat that man. All right. And so until somebody walks the aisle and beats them and you're going to, you're going to score touchdowns on seven consecutive possessions against the number 11 ranked team in the country you should be number one that's the first thing uh, that stood out to me um the pac-12 is toast again that's the second thing i mean between oregon i, I guess usc 
is still in it, you know, but I don't, I mean, I don't think they're going to beat all those teams on their schedule. So, but if your hope is in a first year head coach and a team that has 19 transfers on its two deep, if that's your only playoff hope, I don't really like your chances again. So I'm going to say the, the PAC 12 is out of it again. That was a terrible weekend for them. I need two more. Yeah. I think Ohio state found a way to win a game left-handed if you if you can come up with a criticism of Ryan Day and that's hard. I mean, I don't know how you criticize a guy who's like 47 and 4, okay? But all the a lot of the games they win kind of all look the same, right? They look like a version of a video game with all those, you know, frisbee catching dogs out there of, of of you know those fast receivers they have that are out there just destroying your secondary, putting up video game numbers. They found a way to win a game the old Woody Hayes Jim Trestle way. Uh, Notre Dame made him play a rock fight. Made him win a game at the line of scrimmage, and probably for the first time since Urban Meyer moved on, we saw Ohio State win a meaningful game at the line of scrimmage. So I think I think that, unfortunately, as a Michigan fan, may portend well for them moving forward. So I would say that's my my third thing. And since I am a Michigan fan and I watched that game closer, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I, I got to say this. Spencer Petrus has blackmail material. On the Ferentz family. That's my fourth observation. I saw somebody. somebody's promoting uh, Padilla to some position in the White House today as like communications director. So maybe it's a different Padilla, but maybe that's the reason they're not, you know, actually handing the reins. I mean, Spencer Petrus has blackmail material in the Ferentz family. I don't know what a guy has to do to get to play himself out of a lineup. But Petrus is by golly. He is determined, it seems, to find that out. Todd, what about you? Did you see like Ferentz? Trying to bail him out or himself out or just putting some gloss on it. Like, hey, well, uh, we had the blocking, the reads were there, all this general mumbo jumbo. I didn't know that a quarterback rating of one was possible. I didn't. Sorry. Let's be precise here. 1.1. 1. 1. Thank you. I, I I didn't know you could achieve that. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that it was possible. Todd, that quote is actually as close uh, to throwing somebody under the bus as you'll get out of that program. I'll take your word for it. I, I, I'm not sure because Ferentz, the reason I couch it that way is like, it's not like Ferentz is not in trouble as well. I mean, they're both in this together. So how does, how does he throw out a quarterback? It's not a, how does he throw this quarterback who's year three as a starter? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Under the bus without how throwing bad, himself under the how bus. How bad must the guys behind him be? Think about that. Like how bad. No, the guys I'm not, behind him. I'm not really trying to interject myself because, as as like critical uh, as you guys are being right now, I, I'm like one hundred. I'm mentally, I'm one hundred times more critical about this Iowa offense. I, I, that's an understandable reaction you just had, Steve. But remember how? And I know that quarterback was not bad. He ended up being your quarterback, Jim Jake Rudock. Rudock. Jake Rudock. Yeah. But remember how long it took for Ference to. Pull the ripcord and move on to what Bethard? CJ Bethard. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's just he's that's a, a good analogy. Now I got to tell you, Jake Rudock looks like Bart freaking Star compared no, uh, to Spencer yeah. Petrus. But, but, I, but so. I get your analogy. I get that. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have a time for former. What, what's your big observation, Todd? One observation. My big observation from week one is that uh, well, Arkansas was uh, now that I'm grafted in to that family and that's it, that, that's fun i i enjoy it they're uh they're just a, a fun throwback brand of football that i think 
on any given Saturday could get lucky against one of the big dogs. Uh, my big observation is uh, between, you know, in, inside the paint on the field, it's still the best game ever. Yes, it is. For all the off-season controversies and consternation, when they actually kick that thing off, man, and we get a chance to watch it, it is still absolutely glorious. You bet. Back at it again tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.